The reading of the word from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 9 through 21. And he came into a cave and spent the night there, and look, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. Your altars they have destroyed, your prophets they have killed by the sword, and I alone remain, and they have sought to take my life. And he said, go and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and look, the Lord is about to pass over with a great and strong wind, tearing apart mountains and smashing rocks before the Lord. Not in the wind is the Lord. And after the wind, an earthquake. Not in the earthquake is the Lord. And after the fi earthquake, fire. Not in the fire is the Lord. And after that fire, a sound of minute stillness. And it happened when Elijah heard that he covered his face with his mantle, and he went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. And look, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. Your altars they have destroyed, and your prophets they have killed by the sword. And I alone remain, and they have sought to take my life. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and you shall come and anoint Hazael, king over Aram, and Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah, you shall anoint prophet in your stead. And it shall be that who escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall put to death. And who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. And I shall leave in Israel 7,000, every knee that did not bow to Baal, and every mouth that did not kiss him. And he went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 yokes of oxen before him. He was with the 12th. And Elijah crossed over to him and flung his mantle upon him. And he abandoned the cattle and ran after Elijah. And he said, let me pray. Kiss my father and my mother and I will come after you. And he said to him, go, return. For what have I done to you? And he turned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. And with the wood from the gear of the oxen, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. And he arose and went after Elijah and ministered to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do you hear from God? Who do you know who loves you enough to tell you the truth, even if that truth might make you feel uncomfortable? I think one of the most routinely shocking things in all of Scripture is that God 
speaks to us through people. But how do I know when people are speaking to me on God's behalf? Why does it seem like when I am most ready to hear a word from God, God is silent? There's probably a much better definition out there than this one for the word mentor, but let's go with this one today. A mentor is somebody who fears God and loves you enough to listen to God with you. So how do you get lucky enough to have a mentor in your Rolodex? How do you know when someone speaks for God? The ancient Israelites relied on three different types of people to hear from God. They listened to the prophet and the priest and the king. Today, we're going to enter the world of the prophet. And I need to warn you, it gets a little weird in there. What you have to know about prophets is that they are not seers or fortune tellers. That's not their gifting. A prophet doesn't see what will be. A prophet enters the stage at a time when we seem to be under culture's spell and reminds us of God's values. A prophet doesn't see what will be. A prophet is the only one who sees the present reality clearly. So prophets don't look like the rest of us because they're not really trying to fit in. But that's exactly what makes them good mentors. They're far more concerned about reminding us of God's truth than blending in. Would you have the courage with me this morning to enter the weird world of the prophet. Come gather people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving and you'd better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a-changing. The line it is drawn, the cursed it is cast. The slow one now will later be fast, as the present now will later be past. The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last, for the times they are a-changing. One day, the last will be first. It's kind of an upside-down idea. It's kind of an upside-down story we enter today. Elijah walks down a mountain towards a vast farming operation. He has been on the run for the last three years because King Ahab and his pagan wife Jezebel want to kill him. It's mid-morning. The sun isn't yet hot, but it has already dried up everything, everything that is except for the vast field to which Elijah approaches. Surrounded by an ocean of hard gray dirt is an island of soft, rich, well-watered soil. Elijah approaches 12 men, each one guiding a team of cattle following the one in front of him with their own team. They are plowing this massive field. Elijah, well, uh, he looks like a man who's been on the run for three years. He is covered in dried mud because God told him to go live in a seasonal riverbed. The last three years, his only friends have been ravens on whom he has relied for food, a poor widowed mother and her son. 
Elijah has walked thousands of miles through the known world on foot without a home, all the while in the middle of a three-year drought. Well, one might need to wonder, where did he take a bath? Elijah is walking down a mountain towards a vast field and 12 men plowing the field. And we might realize that Elijah probably smells as bad as he looks. He approaches and asks the man guiding the first team of cattle, where can I find Elisha, son of Shaphat, the first hired hand? He points to the back of the caravan. He says, that's the boss's kid. The first uh, team approaches him and Elijah waits. And then the second team arrives. And then the third, one after one, they stop until finally the 12th team, driven by Elisha, son of Shaphat, arrives. Elisha dismounts and he walks right up to Elijah and they stare at each other for a moment. The contrast could not be more striking. Elisha, well, he's probably one of those guys who can get all dirty and sweaty while working and still be handsome. He is young and healthy. He sleeps indoors and he takes baths. Meanwhile, Elijah, well, he looks like he sleeps in caves and dry riverbanks. They stand there staring at each other when all of a sudden, without so much as a word, Elijah throws his cloak over Elisha. His stinky, muddy, body odored, used it as a blanket last night in the cave jacket, throws it over Elisha. This guy who looks and smells like a garbage can throws his jacket over Elisha, symbolically claiming himself as his mentor. Now, we don't know a lot about Elisha at this point, but we can infer quite a bit by knowing that he is in charge of a team of hired hands plowing a massive field. His father owns the field, one that can afford to hire 12 hired hands. Each team has at least two cows, and each cow needs enough straw to get fat. They need a place to sleep, someone to care for them, and the yoke or equipment to harness them together. Our text calls this yoke this yoking equipment, the gear. All this takes money to buy, money to take care of, money to pay the higher hands to keep up with it all. This is a rich, well-to-do farm. And somehow, this farm has escaped a worldwide drought because not only do they have enough water to take care of the cows, which would be quite a bit, they are about to plant. They have somehow found a source of irrigation the rest of the world knows nothing about. And it appears that the owner of the land, Shaphat, has placed his son in charge of the whole operation. Elisha is a rich kid, but he's also a good boy. He works hard. He treats his hired hands well, and he honors his parents. The 12-person plowing operation is a living, breathing, sweating personification of Elisha's privilege, prosperity, Willingness to get the job done the right way. Elijah, who I might mention again looks like walking death, has just walked up to the son of the wealthiest, richest, most lucky guy in the known world, and he's thrown his cloak over him. He's claimed him. Elijah, he looks like, um, well, he looks like a prophet. He looks kind of weird. 
He does not look like the kind of person who he might be a first choice for the mentor of a rich kid. Elijah throws his nasty cloak over Elisha. And then the craziest thing happens. Elisha says yes. Elisha doesn't even think twice. He runs home to kiss his mom and dad goodbye. He kills the team of cattle he was driving and he burns the gear that held them together. He burns the gear so that he could cook the cattle for his men and Elijah, who is now his guest of honor. Well, it's probably the first good meal that Elijah's had in three years. Elisha is so quickly and unquestioningly leaving his life of privilege that he burns the very instruments with which he can afford that life. Elisha burns the gear. Can I be honest? I don't like this part of the story. It kind of hacks me off. Why doesn't the historian of 1 Kings tell us how Elisha knows Elijah speaks for God. Elijah was just there, and he's just all of a sudden in front of this rich kid, and somehow Elisha knows God's speaking to me. Well, how do I know when God's speaking to me? How do I know when to burn my gear? Well, it really does frustrate me because, you know, Elijah, he gave Elisha a lot of reasons to think that he might not be speaking from God. Did Elisha know Elijah was God's prophet when the king of Israel ordered him dead? King Ahab marries Jezebel, the daughter of King Ithobaal, worshippers of Asherah. Ahab builds altars and Asherah poles, holy sites, to join his new wife in worshipping false gods. Elijah first comes on the scene to tell Ahab and Jezebel that they have dishonored God worse than any king or queen before them. And the Lord will not bring rain upon the land until I, Elijah, speak it into existence. Now, to you and I, uh, a drought means higher produce prices at HEB, but ancient people kill kings cursed with no rain. Oh, no, make no mistake, these are fighting words that Elijah has just said to King Ahab and to Queen Jezebel. God, fearing for Elijah's safety, presumably sends him to live in a seasonal muddy riverbed that is quickly drying up now that there's no rain. Can you see Elijah there hiding in the mud? How does Elisha know God speaks through this man? Maybe Elisha hears about the miracle on Mount Carmel. You remember this story. Elijah challenges all of Jezebel's 450 false prophets to a duel on their holy mountain, Mount Carmel. Well, Elijah says, you can have as much wood as you want, and you can have as many prophets as you want, and the, but I'll just be me and the first one of us to sacrifice our bull to our God oh, will win. Well, Elijah just starts taunting the false prophets of Baal. Scream a little louder, why don't you? Maybe they can't hear you. And they work like furious people to build their altar and to light a fire, and they can't do it. And so they start cursing each other and screaming and cutting each other. Meanwhile, Elijah says, maybe uh, your God's taking a nap. Then Elijah, he 
He builds his altar, but he says, come bring 12 massive pots of water and pour them on my altar. And by the time uh, the altar that he stands next to is filled with water up to his knees, Elijah calls down the name of God and immediately fire. And the bull is cooked. And Elijah, he humiliates the 450 false prophets of Elijah. Uh, but then he turns to the people watching and he says, kill them. Kill all 450 false prophets of Queen Jezebel. And we need to ask, this is the man that speaks for God? It was a big victory for Elijah, and if Elijah had heard about it, he might have been encouraged, but uh, he was in for a surprise. After Mount Carmel, Jezebel tells her husband, King Ahab, uh, either you kill him or you kill me. I mean it. Well, who do you think Ahab chose? God sends Elijah to hide in the desert of Damascus, but as Elijah walks through the desert, he says to God, just kill me. Elijah has just shown the world that God chooses righteousness over power every day. But what happens? Do the king and queen turn all the people back to God? No. The powerful order the righteous dead. And so Elijah says, God, I am the only one left. I said what you asked me to say. Everyone else is a liar, but I am your prophet's. And look where it's got me. God wants you to just make it quick. This is the man who speaks for God. It's there in the desert wishing for his own death. The word of the Lord visits Elijah. Then tells him to go to Mount Horeb. Go stand there, Elijah. Wait for God to speak. Elijah stands on the mountain of God with a great and terrible wind, picks up and almost rips him off the mountain itself. There, hanging to the rocks by his fingertips, Elijah is certain that God is going to kill him on this mountain or speak from its gusts. After the storm, a great earthquake and as the rocks are falling and almost bashing Elijah's head in, Elijah is certain that he's going to fall between the mountain or hear God's voice in its tremors. And after the earthquake, a great and furious fire, but God's voice is not in the fury of the flames. After the storm, then an earthquake then the flames, creation itself is shocked into a profound nothingness of silence. And that's when Elijah hears the word of God in a still, small voice. And he holds his cloak up over his face. Well, I guess God surprised Elijah. God is awfully surprising. In the beginning, the breath of God hovers over the chaos. When God speaks, light. But without a sun, moon, or stars, or a single source from which the light should emanate, light 
exists for the first time. But where's it coming from? From the Word? What a way to create everything. From a Word. From nothing. Well, God is surprising. God says to Abraham, Go, look at the stars, count them if you can. Those are the children I will give you. God could have chosen anyone from any nation to make a covenant with, but he chose a wandering nomad from a dying tribe who was childless and old enough to die. God's speech once again creates life from sources we should never see coming God is surprising. So Elijah comes down, not Horeb, when he, we see him walking towards the her, hired hands, driving 12 teams of cattle. Elijah must wait for all 12 teams of cattle before he can throw his cloak over Elijah. Elijah must patiently wait for Elisha's privilege to exercise itself. Then he throws that stinky, dusty, dirty, body-odored, holy breath of God still caught in the folds of the fabric jacket over Elisha. And Elisha says yes. And he burns the gear. But he's not the only one in the story who heard the word of God. Ahab heard it. Queen Jezebel heard it. And when they heard it, they said, kill him. Three powerful, privileged people hear God speak. Two say, kill it. And Elisha says, burn the gear. We ask, why doesn't God speak anymore? But what we might mean is, why don't we hear God speak? But maybe we have. Maybe the things that keep us comfortable, full, and safe from all harm also, ironically, protect us from hearing God's still, small voice. Well, I wish God would speak to me in an earthquake. Even I might hear that. A fire or a great storm might get my attention. I don't know how Elisha knew God was speaking through Elijah that day, but he did. And he knew if he didn't burn the gear, he'd never heard it, hear it again. So he burned the gear. Long after Elijah and Elisha are gone. God's people are wondering if they'll ever hear God speak again. And then one night... There was an eerie silence. It is, uh, well, it's like a silence after a great storm or an earthquake or fire. All of a sudden, the cries of a teenage girl in labor pains tear through the air. Shepherds, those who can't get a good job, they hear it. Magi from the east, that is ethnic and religious outsiders, well, they hear it. Those without a home here, those near the manger, those without the privilege of sleeping indoors. What did the word of God sound like that night? 
sounded like a baby. God is surprising. Herod hears the word of God and tries to kill it. The word becomes a political and religious refugee the day it is born. The word of God grows and becomes a friend to tax collectors and prostitutes. The word of God is a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, one the likes of which people hide their faces. He is despised and the world esteems him not. Eventually, the privileged put the word of God on trial and the kings of this earth order his death. Dying like a criminal, the word of God says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because God's speech is surprising. It often comes from the mouths the world oppresses. And the privilege are the ones who often have the hardest time hearing it. Privilege isn't really about money, it's about options. I, as a white straight man, am wealthy. I have all the options. I can go for a jog in any neighborhood in Abilene any time of day and never worry about my safety. When I was young and unmarried, I never once worried someone I was romantically interested in would harm me once we got alone. I have never feared being unlawfully stopped or detained while traveling anywhere in the United States. I can choose to opt out of this cultural discussion on race if I choose to. I can choose not to be discomforted by it. I can choose to not care about the shockingly high rate of homelessness and suicide among LGBT youth. Some high school seniors will graduate and they will choose military services. But for others, it is their only option. Did you know in this country, every day, veterans of wars die by suicide? 20 a day. Did you know that 2,500 students in AISD are listed as food insecure? That's a, a term that means they're trying to learn while they're hungry. I cannot imagine what that feels like because I have the option not to and I choose not to try to go to school or to send my children to school while they're hungry. That experience is so far removed from anything I have ever experienced. I cannot imagine how difficult that would be. Oh, my line of cattle carts is long. And the gear between them keeps me from hearing the speech of prophets. Maybe it's time I burn my gear. It's hard for us to ever see wealth or options as a bad thing. But when I choose not to listen to women, people of color, people in poverty, people who are non-straight or non-binary, people experiencing physical disabilities or mental illnesses, I am exercising my privileged a privileged opportunity to ask the question, why can't I hear God speak anymore? God's speech is surprising. It tends to pour forth from suppressed mouths. I can't 
undo my birth or the centuries of privilege that led up to it. Just like Elijah has to wait for all 12 cattle carts before Elisha shows up. But I wonder how much longer I can go on choosing mentors based solely on their cultural success. When the prophet says, look not at the culture's values, but, what at, but at what God values. God speaks from the mouths society would like to ignore. God's speech is surprising. The prophet's job is to shock us into seeing the world through God's eyes instead of through culture's values. The reality the prophet begs us to see is often completely upside down from the blinding spell of culture. Well, the line it is drawn and the curse it is cast, the slow one now will later be last, as the present now will later be past. The order is rapidly fading. And what Jesus taught us is that the first one now will later be last. Times are changing. It's surprising that God chooses to speak through people at all. It's surprising that God's truth most often comes from the mouths of the oppressed. Who will mentor you? To whose life will you listen? When was the last time you heard something from someone and you said, yes, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's time for those of us with options to choose to burn our gear. Pray with me. Oh God, from the mouths of your prophets you have spoken. And we have looked for you in power and privilege but you are not in the earthquake or the storm or the fire. You are in the mouth of a baby. You are in the mouth of the word, your son. May he mentor us. Amen. This week, I want to give you something specific to do. I want to ask you to listen to a voice that was silenced too soon. In 1963, Martin Luther King was jailed in Birmingham, Alabama for asking for justice. And he wrote a letter to white clergy who were criticizing him for speaking and for making uh, commerce difficult in downtown Birmingham. The letter is simply called the letter from Birmingham jail. Would you read that this week? It's nine pages. Dr. King asks for people to listen new. And as you read it, I would ask you to listen for the words of Jesus through the words of Dr. King. Benediction. This week, may you be shocked to learn God still speaks. Amen.